Good morning and welcome. Happy uh, Father's Day, happy Juneteenth. We've got all kinds of things to celebrate today. We are glad you are here. And as the others are making their way in, here come our children. What a big day for our children. Just after worship service, our children will be leaving for uh, camp for this week. We have 29 children and uh, I think four sponsors who are going for this week. More sponsors, good. More sponsors, the better, right? Good, welcome. All right, our call to worship is from the Psalms. Becky Havens is going to come and read to us from God's word as we begin our time of worship this morning. Good morning. This is from Psalm 22, verses 19 to 28. Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Would you stand with us as we sing together?
Do the 
Amen. And now is the time where our children that are gathered in this body right now will move their bodies over to the children's area for their portion of church. But before they go, will you read this prayer um, from Philippians over them with us? It says this. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thanks, kids. All right. And as they are making their way, um, this morning, one of the greatest gifts that we have is the peace of Christ. And um, we get to not only um, be the recipients of that, but one of the greatest things about that is that we get to share that with one another. And so this morning we have the opportunity not only to pass the peace of Christ to one another, but to be the peace of Christ to one another. And so we invite you to take a couple minutes this morning to pass the peace of Christ, however you feel comfortable, a wave, um, fist bump, handshake, hug, whatever you feel good with, um, we invite you to pass the peace of Christ to one another. Would you join us as we continue to worship through song and um, prayer through song together this morning? Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Because without you, I fall. My defense, my right. 
righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Well, sin runs deep, your grace is more. What grace is found is where you are and where you are, Lord. Is Christ in me? And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God. song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand up on you Jesus you're my hope and stay let's pray this together this morning teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay and Lord I My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Hi, I'm Tyler. I also work here. <laughs> and we would love to just talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the life of our church. But before we do that, we want to talk about how we can know that you're here. We have this great, adorable dino QR code that you can take your smartphone, hover it over either on the projector or on your bulletin, 
And this is a great way for you to communicate with us, not only that you're here, we'd love to know that you're here, but also if you have anything going on in your life that we uh, need to know about as a church, whether something is uh, a need for prayer or you want to meet with a pastor or you just have like change of contact information. Somebody hacked your email. We, you need to send out a different email address. This is a great way to do that. So please check in. Let us know that you're here. Um, and we have some great events coming up this summer, too, for those that want to connect in community with other members of our church. We're just a couple weeks away from our next uh, second Saturday barbecue date. Um, that'll happen on July 9th. And we, what we do is we have a bunch of families from our church that are hosting on the same night. It's the second Saturday of the month. And uh, we'll have an RSVP form that you can fill out. Uh, you can scan that QR code that's in your bulletin or up on the screen. Um, or if you can't do a QR code, just email the church officer, call us and let us know you want to come. And we'll assign you a, a house to go to, let you know what time to be there, uh, what you can bring if you want to help out with the dishes that we'll, we'll be enjoying. And then you'll show up and there will be other people from the church there. And it'll be a really great way just to get to know one another um, and uh, connect with people that you might already know or maybe some people that you haven't met yet. And so uh, still some time to sign up for this uh, next second Saturday barbecue uh, if you want to attend on that date. One of the things that we're doing to continue to build community is the age group between late 20s, early 40s, uh, 30-something group. We want to get together and hang out specifically this time with our kids. So June 29th from 5 to 8, we're going to be gathering at uh, Shelter Island, having our kids run around on the playground, on the beach. If you don't have kids, please come, bring a meal. We're just going to gather together, hang out. Really, that's it. Just be together as a group. Um, just so we can get to know one, know one another as we emerge out of all this pandemic and have some summer plans. And then uh, lastly, I know Russ mentioned it at the top of our service, but happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Shout out to all the dads. Okay, mom's got way more applause on Mother's Day, so I just feel like maybe dads need a little bit more. Okay, that's great. Uh, we know uh, this day can be complicated depending on uh, so many things in your life. So whether today is a day uh, of celebration and joy or if it's a day where there's uh, some anxiety or some stress or some sadness, just know that our prayers uh, for God's comfort and presence are with you this day um, and every day as well. Uh, but for those dads, if, you, if you're a dad celebrating here today, we of course have our traditional Father's Day cookies that'll be available for you. Uh, chocolate chip, of course. They made the chocolate cookie and never needed to make another cookie again. I don't know why they bothered. Um, no, so hold on. Time present. out. No, uh, time out. No, I can't let that go. Snickerdoodles are so no, good. Goodbye. Bye. No. Come fired. on now. Uh, Anyone snickerdoodles? <laughs> No, I guess you don't want to take a poll. <laughs> you don't want to take a poll, Matt. This is bad for you. I know. Uh, this is bad for your cause. Oatmeal raisin? <laughs> no, Beth is like, no. Just boo them off stage. <laughs> Just boo them off stage. Uh, but we will have Father's Day cookies uh, in the foyer for y'all. If you want to, if you're a dad in the audience, want to take one or two home for you, or if you're taking a cookie home for a dad or someone else that you want to love and celebrate today, please help yourself on your way out of the service this morning. Even though they're not snickerdoodles. Uh, at this time, I'd love to have Judy Lubinsky come up. We are hanging out with several different congregants throughout our, uh, our time together and interviewing them. This morning, I'd love to interview Judy Lubinsky. You might see her up on the platform singing in the choir or having a solo. She has such a wonderful voice, but she is so much more than a wonderful voice. And we'd love to get to know her. So Judy, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do with your time? What does family look like for you? Uh, my husband's Victor Lubinsky right there. Wave your hand. And we have uh, two children, uh, Carlin that is joining us today next to dad. 
um, and our son Christopher. And Carlin's boyfriend, Marco, will be joining in a few minutes. He's volunteering at an, his home church coming over here for Father's Day. Um, and our son Christopher is in Alabama going to grad school, and he's married. So that's my family. And um, What do you do with your time outside of family, like vocationally or uh, hobbies? Okay. Um, I'm a nurse at Sharp Healthcare. I've been there for 37 years. I started there when I was two years old. So, um, yeah, it's a great place to work. Uh, and uh, I also teach uh, adjunct uh, on the side at San Diego version of Azusa Pacific. Right on. Uh, why do you attend First Church? What brought you here in the first place? And why do you continue having this be your church home? I was actually thinking about how many years I've come here. And I counted them up for the first time in a long time. And it's been 40 years. So I came here during college when I went to Point Loma Nazarene University, so like about 1982, and I kind of landed here. Um, and uh, I also, I don't think about this very much, but my relatives, my grandmother and his husband, wait, her husband, um, got married here in San Diego First Church, probably in the, whatever, 20s, 30s. Um, and so history, I'm a history buff anyway, so I looked at some pictures I'm, uh, I save little pictures of different things. So when um, 20 years ago, when it was just this Brown Chapel and there was a Goodwin Chapel over here, we had groundbreaking. And uh, 2020, sorry, 2002 was when those um, buildings were, were um, dedicated. And I have pictures of them. So if you're a, a history nerd, <laughs> find me afterwards. I brought a couple pictures. But over there where the ellipse is now, there was a, a cross um, dug into the ground and everyone would have a rock that they would pray a blessing and they dropped their rock as they walked by and it's just really one of those little milestones in my life. It was amazing. Awesome. In uh, kind of your recent journey with Christ, uh, what is something that you are either learning or lamenting or celebrating? Um, a lament that I feel um, pretty strongly is over the last few years, I feel that we as Christians haven't learned or demonstrated how to disagree well. And I feel a great burden for that, and I feel that um, we were talking in Sunday school about they will know we are Christians by our love, and it, it uh, distresses me. And I feel that when there's a disagreement or a difference of opinion, if we can, and this is me included, if we can take the same energy we would put into the disagreement to finding a place to serve the homeless, finding a place to serve food, finding a place to serve uh, those that are um, marginalized or underprivileged. Um, maybe that's, that's the only way I've figured out what to do with that negative energy, and people will see that instead of the disagreement. So insightful. Judy, thank you so much for your insight and your, your talent and everything you bring. Give it up for Judy. I'll, I can take that. Oops. Russ got it. This time, we'd love to turn it over to the Morrison family.
be reading from Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter, verses 11 through 32. <clears throat> uh, your uh, Bibles might have this as the uh, parable of the prodigal son. I'm pretty sure Jesus meant it as the parable of the sulky son. <clears throat> Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. <clears throat> I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put, on, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this, my son of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he said to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are with me always, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Two things before we come to this portion of God's Word. The first is your weekly reminder to be in prayer for Pastor D and Kay. We thank God for them every day for this time of sabbatical in their lives and ministry and what they mean to our church family. Keep them in your prayers daily, and we will appreciate that very much. 
Another thing, uh, a few weeks back I referenced the Heidelberg Catechism and read that and several had requested that they have a copy of that. We made this into a bookmark form and if you go stop by the Welcome Center and want one of those, you can pick those up on your way out of church this morning. Welcome to the House of the Lord. For these months we've been focusing on the words of Christ and uh, with all the words we've been looking at, we have not yet come to parables and I thought it would be a terrible oversight if we didn't focus on a few of the parables of Jesus, this go-to teaching format that Jesus used so often. So this morning we're going to look in this 15th chapter of Luke, and the portion that Rick read so beautifully for us is the third portion of one long parable. For in the second verse, we, uh, we see that Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, and they mutter, to him, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. And so he begins then to tell the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the lost sons, which we so commonly call the prodigal son. But all three are a part of what he wants us to say about the father. And while uh, Rick renamed it the sulking son, Helmut Thierry, the great German theologian and pastor, said we should call it the parable of the waiting father, for the emphasis is all on the father and what the father is doing and what Jesus wants to teach us about his father and ours. The first thing he seems to say in these parables is there are different ways to get lost. <laughs> he starts with the sheep and the shepherd, and the, uh, the sheep is lost by wandering. There's a great book by a man named Philip Keller who was a shepherd by trade and wrote a book called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm and talked a lot about sheep and how we are so much like them. But he used a term when sheep get lost from the flock. He said they nibble their way lost. A sheep never looking up, head always down. Oh, there's a nice green patch. I think I'll go over there. And there's another one over there and I'll wander over that way. And before long, while ever looking up, The sheep is out of sight of the rest of the flock. In human terms, we'd call it drifting. You know, a little compromise here, a little compromise there. But it's the same issue. We run into trouble by never looking up, by never looking at the heavenly perspective, by never seeing what God has for us and his involvement in our lives. Never thinking they'll be lost, and many are lost that way. Then he comes to the coin And this widow has lost one of her ten coins and searches diligently in the house to find it. It is lost by carelessness. And many are lost by the carelessness of others. Children lost by carelessness of parents who make no religious instruction in the home. Friends leading other friends astray. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And many are lost by the carelessness of friends. That's why choosing of friends is so crucial. That's why all week long we should be praying for these 29 children and their sponsors who are going to children's camp. For they will be making choices. 64 summers ago, as an eight-year-old boy, I made a choice in my first children's camp to follow Jesus. Lifelong decisions will be made this week. Be in prayer for our children. Be in prayer that God's will would be happening in their lives. 
Our secular culture leaves all kinds of opportunities for people to be led astray by carelessness. Teachers with false or misleading messages, certainly without wisdom. But then in the third portion of the parable, we have the lost sons, lost by rebellion. We all understand this one. To know the right, but to choose the wrong. Open rebellion against what God has done. And with the two sons in the parable, we have two different kinds of rebellion. We have outward rebellion with the younger son, but we have the suppressed rebellion of the older son who stays home but never enjoys the presence of the father. And so we can rebel either by running from God or by losing the joy of the presence of God. God help us in that regard. So there are different ways to get lost, but there are also different reactions to being lost. The the sheep is lost and desperately wants to be found. Poor sheep, of all of God's creatures, they have no defense mechanism. God has given the creatures of this earth the ability to to fly or to run or maybe have claws to climb or to fight back or to dig in the ground or to somehow defend themselves. But sheep depend completely and utterly upon the shepherd. No wonder Jesus compares us to sheep. (laughs) We depend on him. We cannot survive this world without him. Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. And so, uh, they desperately want to be found. We all know people like that. Maybe we were people like that. And the promise in the New Testament is, if we are lost and desperately want to be found, we will soon be found. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you will find me. We have that promise from our Savior. Well, the coin is lost and indifferent to being found. And there's a lot of people like that in our culture. No idea that they're even lost. Lost from what? What do you mean? They don't know any better from this. Dr. Richard Howard speaks of our culture as the American heathen. People who have only heard the word of Jesus as a curse know nothing of Jesus as Savior and are indifferent to being found. They will only be found by our lives, shining into their lives and introducing them to Jesus. They're not going to seek out a church. They're not going to seek out the Bible. They're not going to seek out Christian instruction. But if a Christian intersects their life, all the difference in the world can come about. That's our task. Well, the sons are lost and not at all wanting to be found. The rebel has so often burned every bridge behind him in the midst of the rebellion that he sees no way back into the graces of those who love him. They have lashed out at those they love and turned to strangers. And there's heartbreak. There's different ways to be lost and different reactions to being lost. But here the story shifts dramatically toward the father. For we see different ways to be found. The lost sheep is found by the intense, caring love of the shepherd. Paul says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Excuse me, Peter. And then we have Jesus' words. Read John chapter 10. All you need to know about Jesus the good shepherd is in this wonderful passage where he speaks about himself as the good shepherd and we are his sheep. He calls his sheep by name and they respond to his voice. I hear from people, how do I know it's God's voice? Well, listen more often. (laughs) When my three kids call today, 
I'm going to recognize each of their voices because I've heard them all my life. It's not just caller ID here. I'm going to know the voice. <laughs> if I speak with God every day, I know his voice. And I don't follow false voices. That's why it says, give us today our daily bread. We pray daily. We are in the Father's presence daily. We hear his voice daily so that when crisis comes, we know the sound of his voice. Each night, the sheep would pass under the rod. They would be counted and they would be treated for their diseases. They'd be inspected and they'd be comforted by the shepherd. If they're far away and cannot make it back to their grazing land, they would set up a temporary pen and it says the shepherd would lie down and become the gate to the pen, would protect the flock. The great protector. The shepherd knows the value of the one. Each one is important because each one has eternal value. And each one who has eternal value has influence on others who have eternal value. Think of the people who have influenced our lives. I was looking on Pastor D's bookshelf and there were as many books as are on my bookshelf by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and I thought of the influence of that great Christian writer on my life. And then think of people who would have a negative impact upon others. I thought of the writings of Karl Marx, the atheist political leader. Listen to these two statements by C.S. Lewis and Karl Marx. Union with Christ imparts an inner elevation, a comfort in affliction, tranquil reliance, and a heart which opens itself to everything noble and great, not for the sake of ambition or desire for fame, but for the sake of Christ. Union with Christ produces joy, which the Epicurean seeks in vain in his shallow philosophy, which deeper thinkers vainly pursue in the most hidden depths of knowledge, it is a joy known only to the simple and childlike heart, united with Christ and through him with God, a joy which elevates life and makes it more beautiful. Then notice the contrast. You know, I think, that I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof of any of them, and from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. All religions, that is, all mythologies, to give them their proper name, are merely man's own invention, Christ as much as Loki. Primitive man bound himself, surrounded by all sorts of terrible things he didn't understand, thus religion, that is to say mythology, grew up. Often, too, great men were regarded as gods after their death, such as Hercules or Odin. Thus, after the death of Hebrew philosopher Jesus, he became regarded as a god. A cult sprang up, which was afterwards connected with the ancient Hebrew Yahweh worship. And so Christianity came into being, one mythology among many. Of course, mind you, I'm not laying down as certainty there is nothing outside the material world. Considering the discoveries that are always being made, this would be foolish. Anything may exist. These two statements were written when Lewis and Marx were still very young, still searching, not so settled as they sounded. The first quote was from Karl Marx. The second quote was from C.S. Lewis. The impact that a life can have is eternal. The shepherd, who had 100 sheep, 99 are still there, one is lost. He goes and seeks out the one. And we read in the 
account that there's great celebration in heaven when one repents. In Palestine, there's precarious grazing land and sheep could easily die if they are lost from the flock. If they're grazing and get tipped over on their back, it's like a little pet turtle that's on its back, you know, can't get itself back over. It's called being cast as a sheep. And the, the weight of the stomach on the lungs will cause them to suffocate in that position if the shepherd does not find the sheep in time. And when found, there is great, great rejoicing. Think of the rejoicing in heaven when a believer repents. See the seventh verse of that 15th chapter? There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who don't need repentance. The sheep is desperately wanting to be found. The coin in the next section of the parable is found by ceaseless searching love, much like the shepherd going after the sheep. But here, it's for the indifferent one, and so the prevenient grace of God comes into play in protecting that one until the word can get to them, and we are held responsible for bringing that word to them. He's not content to have one missing, it says, and there's rejoicing among the angels, it says in verse 10, when that one that was lost is found. But now we come to the sons. With the sons, there's a dramatic change in the storyline, not found by the searching love of the father, but by the waiting, patient love of the father. The rebel is only found by that patient waiting love. It's a heartbreaking wait, and it's a very difficult thing to do. But as Rick made clear in his reading of the word, it was no coincidence that the father was looking down the road and saw the child coming while he was still far off. He's looking down that road all the time as God looks down that road for the one who is away from him. Always anxious for our return. Many of us have that waiting vigil for a rebellious loved one. I wish I could tell you they all come home. But I do know we need to keep home available, as God does, for the prodigal. Church of the Nazarene has a a great presence in the country of Brazil, and this story comes out of a little village outside of Rio de Janeiro, Maria and her daughter Cristina. Maria's husband had passed away when Cristina was just a young child, and the focus of Maria's life was raising her daughter, Her job as a maid provided only the basics for them, but it was a house that was filled with love. Christina was growing up very beautiful, but also very independent, and she dreamed of the big city. Maria warned her of all the dangers that were there and the cruelty of that place. But in her independence, one day she ran away, and Maria frantically followed her toward the city, of course, could not locate her, stopped at a local drugstore and used all of her money to print up photos of herself in a drugstore photo booth. (laughs) Wrote a little note on the back of each of the pictures and then went everywhere she could think of in the city, aware of the traps for a young girl. And so to every bar and nightclub and cheap hotel, every coffee shop she could find, at each place on the bathroom mirror or on a bulletin board, she would tape the picture of herself. And then in frustration, went back home to wait 
It's a month later when Maria, in frustration and out of money, had come down the stairs of this cheap hotel where she had fallen into prostitution. The dream of the big city had turned into a nightmare. The laughter was gone. She longed to return home, but felt like she had cut off every hope of returning home. And there on the bulletin board saw the picture of her mother and snatched it up and read these words on the back. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. And Jesus is God's picture for us that says, please come home. And he always makes home available to us. We know well this story of the young prodigal, the ultimate insult to the father. The Jews who were listening to the story were horror-stricken by the, by the premise that a child would say, Father, I want my inheritance. He might as well have said, I wish you were dead. Give me my money now. And takes that and goes off in wild living. He sought freedom but found bondage. Bondage to his urges, bondage to his lifestyle. Freedom is not in cutting ourselves off from the source of life any more than I would say, well, I don't want to be dependent on oxygen. I'm just going to hold my breath. <laughs> we must realize that God is a source of life. He had forfeited all the privileges of sonship, and in the famine economy, at the end of his resources, he takes the most demeaning job a Jewish boy could take. And then we have this wonderful compliment to human humanity in verse 17. He came to his senses. He spoke to himself. He humbled himself. He stood up and walked toward home. And isn't that the definition of repentance? Repent, to turn from something to someone. To move from sin to God. And Jesus' word on repentance is not repent or hell will swallow you up. It is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here is the good news. The one who loves you eternally has given himself for you. And the beauty of the story is in the homecoming, and it just gains momentum with the rejoicing as a theme of the whole chapter, the rejoicing when the sheep is found, the rejoicing when the coin is discovered, the rejoicing now when the son has come home. And the father runs to him. He doesn't allow the whole speech to get out of his son's mouth. Runs, which is very undignified for a Jewish elderly man. He kisses him, and then the symbols, just one after another, the robe, which is reserved for the honored guest, the ring, which signifies family authority and welcome back in the full structure of the family, the shoes, which are a sign of freedom, not slavery, the fatted calf, reserved for special occasions. And how many millions of prodigals have come back since? And the rejoicing that is there. But the entire chapter is based on that objective, objection of the Pharisees in the second verse. And so the whole threefold parable is told to the Pharisees, who are represented in the story, not by the younger prodigal, but by the older son, who has remained at home, but has no joy in the father's house. This is a response to the third accusation in Luke's gospel. There's an accusation in chapter 5 when Matthew leaves his tax tables and follows Jesus and throws a banquet for Jesus, and the Pharisees grumble at him. 
And in chapter 7, when Jesus is anointed while at Simon the Pharisee's house, there's a fourth objection of the same kind in chapter 19 when Zacchaeus makes his public confession. And in all these situations, Jesus always responds, I have come to seek and to save the lost. His purpose is in finding the lost. And we can be accomplices in his purpose. We can help to bring the lost to him. In the story, the Pharisees are represented by this older son. And while we have focused on the younger, Jesus is telling them this parable. He's telling them self-righteousness is as serious as open rebellion. Whenever there's a, an encounter with the Pharisees in Scripture, a red flag goes up because that was the established church of their day. We are the established church of our day. There's always the danger that we would be pharisaical, that we would turn to legalism rather than love, that we would be slaves in the father's household and servants rather than beloved sons and daughters of the father. So instead of rejoicing with the father, he judged his brother. Without sympathy, he condemns him. But the father teaches both, treats, treats both sons with love. He runs out to the young prodigal returning home. During the banquet, he goes out to the older son and pleads with him, come in and share in the rejoicing. Your brother has come home. And the brother will not even acknowledge this. This son of yours, he won't even call him his brother. But the father keeps bringing him back. And yet the elder son says, I have sinned and finds repentance and forgiveness. The older son's attitude is, I have served. I have not transgressed. I have never disobeyed. Not a child in the household. You never even gave me a young goat to celebrate. But the father says, but everything I have is yours. It's not like the younger son's come back and now he's going to get another portion of the inheritance. He has squandered his inheritance. All of the inheritance is now to the elder son. And yet there's no sense of the value of that. Look at the father's plea in, uh, in verses 31 and 32. He says, my son... You are always with thee, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Let's find the reason for rejoicing. The story is open-ended, which is amazing to me. Jesus doesn't tie his parables up with a nice little bow. He leaves them open and says, okay, write the end of the story. How does it go? Does the young son remain true to his confession and repentance and really live his life out in service to the family and to the father? Does a young prodigal shine and go on and do great things? What about the older brother? What does he do? Does he stay in this stance of, no, I will not rejoice? Or does he enter in? He, he leaves us to write the finish of the parable. He leaves us to understand that lives are open-ended. We can make choices. We can change lives. There are all kinds of ways to get lost and reactions to being lost. But the ways to be found are provided by the Father. And it's always a cause for rejoicing. And what better cause for rejoicing than when we come to God's table? And on this Sunday for communion, Pastor Matt is going to come and lead us in a time of reflective prayer and coming to God's table.
what holds our elements, I don't know if you all know this, but what holds our elements is uh, a very basic table from Ikea. <laughs> it's a dinner table. And that's chosen on purpose. When we come to the table of Christ, we come home to the dinner table. Whereas the father is shown in this parable, the shepherd and the woman and the others desperately seeking those who are lost to come home, to know that they belong. No matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to others, there is wholeness, there is belonging at the table. And not just like a passive belonging, but here in this church, we affirm that we need you. It's not a passive welcome, like, I'm glad you're here. But it is, no, we, as the community of Christ, need each and every one of you with all that you have and all that you are. Because we're not the body of Christ without you. That is that grace that no matter what you've done or who you are or how young or how old, no, neither slave nor free, or male nor female, all are welcome to the table. So when we come to the table, we are affirming the belonging that God has for us, that we are needed here, and that there's forgiveness here for whatever we have done for who, whatever is out there in our past, there is always a chance to be forgiven and to know that we are needed, that we belong. So as the servers come forward, we affirm here in this congregation that it is an open table, that all are welcome. We have the elements, the, each of the servers will be across this front area. We would ask that you come forward Grab it together, or take it for yourself, and, and take it back for your seat, and we'll take it all together. All are welcome at the table. Servers.
on the night that Christ was betrayed. He was with his disciples, with those he had taught these parables to, those he had spent so much time with and investing with, having a very common meal, the basic stuff of life. He takes a common piece of bread. He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. He says, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took a common cup, passed it around his disciples. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the sign of the covenant that I am making for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord God, we are so very thankful. Thankful for the work that you have done in our lives, that you continue to move us towards the Father. A sense of belonging. A sense of knowing that you have created, created us as wonderful, as beautiful, as people that you love. And that we have dignity and value because of you. So Lord, let us move into our places of work, into our places of family, of relationships, of place in the marketplace that you would be in and amongst those places. That we might be your hands and feet affirming the dignity and the value of others. Even those who are lost, who don't know they're lost, who don't know your love. Let us be able to communicate your love a recognition of the dignity and honor of each we come in contact with. That we might be your beloved community, your body in the world. Inspire us, Lord. Continue to guide us and shape us in the way of your Son. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. So, as you go from this place, celebrating Juneteenth and celebrating fathers, I just want to let you know two things first. The first is, one, justice for snickerdoodles. Also, that there are cookies out for all those fathers waiting for you. The second is this. Next Sunday, there is a triathlon taking place. And so parts of Catalina will be uh, blocked off if you are trying to get here for Sunday school. So build that into your uh, time frame for next Sunday. Um, maybe take some different side roads that you would normally take, but just know that there's going to be some, some road closures next Sunday. With that being said, 
Go in the knowledge and grace of Christ, who does immeasurably more in us and with us than we could ever hope or imagine. Go in God's grace. Thank you.